You know, our faith, our victory is absolutely in Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that will pull us through. And that's really rather fitting um, because what I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, don't believe your current despair. Don't believe your current despair. And there's a, uh, there's a passage, a story in the Bible that I absolutely love that, that speaks to that. And I, I'll be honest, I, I thought about titling it, Don't Believe It or Do. Because what the, the ultimate thing is, is, is what you believe, where you put your trust, whether in your current despair or in Jesus Christ, determines your outcome in life. And not just in life, but for an eternity. So our faith, our victory, everything that we are, everything that we seek to do, absolutely rests in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, over and over and over, and I'll keep saying it, and you should never get tired of it because of Scripture. Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth that exists in this world. And He is the only way to find life. I love that one verse. I love that passage. I love the Word of God. Um, before I get started, I would encourage you to read the Word of God. You know, we just started a new year. A lot of folks do yearly reading plans. Uh, I'll be honest, just because of the nature of my vocation and calling, I probably read through more than once in a year, maybe not uh, letter by letter from Genesis to Revelation, but just in the course of study. But I would encourage you, read the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul told Timothy to study to show himself approved. Workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if you love Jesus, I think you should love exactly what he is, and that's the word. But now, let's not sugarcoat it or, or candy coat it or however you want to put it. Sometimes you get into parts of the Bible in Numbers and you start reading about this and begat that one, and they had so many offspring, it gets a little tough to, to, to push through. But there's lessons in that. If you will focus on the Word, there's lessons in that. If you will focus on the, on the Word, you will draw close to Him and you will walk away from the darkness and from evil more and more day by day. So I would encourage you, pull up online. Ask me, I'll print you one out. Find you a reading plan. But on average, if you read about three chapters a day, three to four chapters a day, you will get through the Bible in a year. I know people say, well, I read my verse today. Folks, I'm talking about three or four chapters takes you a year. If you're reading a verse a day, you ain't going to get through it in your lifetime. Read the Word of God. I would encourage you to do that. All right. Let me get into the Scripture tonight. I, I love this passage. I love this story. Uh, I think I'm just going to read one verse to start, but where I'm going to be is in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 specifically. Uh, I love Elisha. Uh, you know, Elijah had... Um, a great story too, but I'm just going to read one verse to start, and that's uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25. And as you find that, if you would stand, of course, it'll be on the screen here also. There's a lot in this one verse. 
there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Heavenly Father, God, I pray one thing tonight. Let us not rest in our current state of despair. God, let us see what is ahead and not what is now. Let us see not what is behind, but what is ahead. Lord, I know right now, I personally know families that are hurting and suffering, loss, despair. But God, I know better things are ahead. Help us to not rest in our current despair. Lift us up. Lord, strengthen us. Encourage us. As only you and your Holy Spirit can. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, just a little bit of background and... um, I'll get to Elisha. You know, Elisha was a contemporary of Elijah. You know, Elijah was a great prophet that uh, could uh, speak or pray and the heavens would shut up and he could pray again and and the heavens would open. He was such a great prophet that he went and uh, challenged uh, the worshipers of Baal and uh, went up onto the mountaintop, and, and he just challenged them to a little pray-off, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. And, uh, you know, they prayed and danced and did everything that they did, and, and their God could not send fire. And then you had Elijah come along that not only uh, kind of mocked them and made fun of them, but then he stacked up the wood, and he made sure it was, as we would call it, sopping wet. Uh, you, it was hard. If it wasn't hard, you could have probably just wrung it right on out. And lo and behold, his God showed up. Uh, a man that was miraculously fed by ravens. Um, you, you could go through the story of Elijah, and it's a beautiful story. But ultimately, at the point when he was taken, he had chosen a, a, a protege, a contemporary uh, of his sometime before who followed him along, whose name was Elisha. And when Elijah was taken up. He is one of only two people in the Bible to never die. Right before he was taken up, he asked Elisha what he wanted. He said a double portion of his anointing. And he said, well, if my mantle, if you get my mantle, then that's what you're going to get. And and lo and behold, Elijah was taken up to heaven and Elisha had his mantle and, and he went out and he struck the Jordan and immediately the Jordan parted. And behold, what had been told to him was in his hands. The power of God was in his hands. What Elijah had was passed on to Elisha, but double. And you start reading about this shift and this change. I believe it's back over in chapter uh, 2 of 2 Kings, and and immediately uh, Elijah begins his ministry. And even to this day, it's said, and they 
do the tours in the Middle East, that, that the first thing that you see recorded of Elisha doing is going into Jericho, and they talk about the bitter waters, and he goes and he casts the salt in the waters, and it heals the waters. And it, in the Bible it says to this day those waters are still clean, but you don't even have to go into the Bible to figure that out. If you go over into the Middle East, they do tours to this particular spring, and there are still fruit trees and clean water running all these thousands of years later where Elisha went when he first took up the mantle of Elijah. And you can keep on reading through and you see the, the miracles that he done. He had uh, had the widow's pot of oil and he told her, go get all that you can get and bring them in and keep filling them and filling them and filling them. And the anointing, the oil didn't run out until she was unwilling or unable to go find any more vessels and then you talk uh, you read on down and you see about the the Shunammite woman that was blessed with a son when she didn't think she could have any and then lo and behold the son dies and, and is brought back to life he makes poisonous food harmless he he feeds a hundred men that's down in chapter four naming the leper is cured and you keep going on through but when you get to chapter 6, that's where I really love the story of Elisha because it shows the care and the concern and the lengths to which God will go for his people. Uh, the very first story in, in chapter 6 is the axe head. And, and, you know, that's been memorialized in more than just the Bible. Song after song talks about the axe head. And, and what it was was a young man that didn't even have money to afford an axe head, had borrowed one. And, and was working, and he lost it out in the middle of the river, and he was in such despair because he had no way to replace it, and then he would have no way to work. And I mean, it was just going to be a snowball effect that took part uh, in his life, but God cared so much that, uh, that he sent Elisha by that way to make iron float in the water. That doesn't make any sense. That, that is an, an impossible thing to happen. Then he uh, blinds the entire army of the uh, Syrians after that. Then we come down, and I've kind of give you a quick run-up of Elisha to the very point that, that I read this evening. Uh, and it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. That's the verse before the one I read. That's verse 24. Then you come to find out how great of a famine this really was in Samaria. Uh, I, I can't wrap my mind around this. Now, I've heard of boiling a, a hog's head and making some uh, head cheese out of it or souse meat or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I, I've eaten hog brains before in my life and uh, other, other things. So I understand a little bit, but I can't imagine having to go buy a donkey's head to be able to eat. And not just a donkey's head. But dove dung, bird droppings. Things got so bad in Samaria that, that they were uh, selling donkeys' heads for four score pieces of silver, 80 shekels of silver. They were selling a fourth part of a, a cob of dove's dung. A fourth part of a, a cob is about a quart, about 32 ounces. So a fourth part of that would be about a cup. You get about a cup of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. 
Now how bad are things when supply and demand has it to the point that you will buy a cup of bird droppings to be able to try to find something to eat? That you will go buy a donkey's head? That you are willing to kill the one thing that will transport you, that will help you work, that will help you get things that you need, that makes your life easier, but you're willing to pay a great price to kill it and not have the good meat off of it, if there is such a thing on a donkey, but just to have just the head. I can imagine in, in pig terms, like I was telling you, I love some bacon, sausage, you give me a big old spiral cut honey glazed ham and my mouth to start watering. But it don't water quite the same when you cut off the head and bring it to me and I have to quarter it up and try to get what little bit is inside out or boil it down and try to get not even enough meat to make anything. I'd imagine a donkey's head is much the, the same way. If that's a meat that you like, I would imagine you could take one of those hind quarters and have something a whole lot tastier than the head. You could take the tenderloin or the backstrap off of it and it would be a whole lot better than the head, yet they were in such dire shape that they were paying uh, 80 shekels of silver for just the head. Now we don't understand 80 shekels of silver. I did a little math to try to figure this thing out. How much are they selling this for? Now I don't know what their daily wage was or what their economy was like, but I know when you translate it straight over to what silver is selling for today and you do the math, they were paying about $848 for the head of a donkey. $848 just to get the head of a donkey. Can you imagine taking 848 of your dollars and, and you are so bad off and so hungry that you will take that much money just to go buy a donkey head? Now you bring that down to a cob, that, that cup. They were paying $53, if you want to put it in today's terms, $53 for a cup of bird droppings. Now, I don't know. I would imagine that they probably were not eating all the droppings. Uh, any hunters in here know if you go out and you see turkey droppings, you can tell what they've eat by what's left in their droppings. They were paying $53 just to get the residual berries, I would imagine, or nuts or grains, whatever was left in there, just to be able to eat. They were in a situation where despair was all they had. Now we think that might be bad. We look there and we see that, yeah, they were eating donkey's heads. They were eating dove's dung. They were going through and picking out of bird droppings. I imagine that's what they were doing. It doesn't specify, but I can't imagine doing anything else with it. Uh, picking out just the residual, what the bird had already digested and was passed through, you were hoping to get a little bit of nutrition out of we think that's bad, and yes, that means that they were in a great state of despair. But you can read on in there, and you see that the king of Israel was passing by upon a wall. And he heard someone hollering at him, screaming at him, Help me, O Lord, my king. Help me. So he slowed down a little bit, I would imagine. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? In other words, we're already in this position. What am I going to be able to do for you? Uh, out of the barn floor, out of the wine press, what am I going to give to you? 
And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. Now these are parts of the Bibles we don't like to get into a whole lot. Parts where there's deep despair. Parts where we see even things like is happening today. We may not be eating our children, but God knows we're killing enough of them in the womb before they're ever born. That's a problem. But it's not a new thing. They were so desperate. They were in such a bad state of affairs. Understand that when an army come in and they sieged a town, there was no commerce in or out. There was no way to trade for anything. There was no way to get anything new coming in or going out. You couldn't, you couldn't trade with people. Once you used up your supplies, you were pretty well done. You generally didn't have the, the fields and the agriculture inside the town, inside the walls of the city. That would have been out in the fields outside the wall. You can see that in some of what Jesus talks about, about workers being in the field and hearing the, the trumpet. And one was left and one was taken and the picture there that he's talking about is in those days when it was time to come in for the festival they would go out and they would stand right on the corner of the wall and they would blow so that those outside the city working the fields would be able to hear so they had been sieged so long within this town that they had used up all of their supplies they had used up everything that they had they couldn't get nothing out they couldn't get anything in that they went from eating donkey's heads and doves dung to going down to killing each other's children so that they might have a little bit of meat to put in their bodies now I look and today I think a lot of times we get in similar situations spiritually speaking we use up all that we have sometimes we get into places where we feel such great despair that we don't know what we're going to do we're trying to pick over the leftovers we're looking at what someone else found in something instead of reading and studying for ourselves because we just don't have it in us at the moment i'm not bashing you over the head for this because i've been there and i've done that i know what it's like to be in a place of spiritual desperation and spiritual despair where you feel like your prayers are not getting above the ceiling of the room that you're in, where you feel like God is not hearing anything that you're saying, where you feel like you only can work through someone else, that you can only pick over whatever's left, that you feel like you have to use everything that you have and you come to a place of great despair. That's where they were at, only they were there very literal and very real. You see, the problem was that they wanted to eat the one child today and then we will eat my son tomorrow. That's what the, the woman told her. Let me kill your baby today and we'll eat him or her, whatever it was. And then tomorrow I'll give up my son. Well, tomorrow came and, and the son wasn't around. The son was hid. Things were bad, folks. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We boiled my son and did eat him, and I said to her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she had hid him. And it come to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had on sackcloth with, uh, within upon his flesh. And he said, God, do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. He, he was mad at Elisha. 
for whatever reason, and we could get into that, but that is not pertinent to what I'm saying this evening. But Elisha sat in his house. The elders sat with him. Long story short, when you get down to 7-1, Elisha made a prediction. A prophecy. He said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. A shekel is two-fifths ounces. An ounce of silver sells for about $26. So you're looking at getting a whole measure of fine flour for about $10. The very day after, you had to pay 53 to get a cup of dove's dung. The day after paying $848 to get the head of a donkey, you're going to, you're going to sit and tell me that tomorrow, even though today I'm paying these exorbitant prices for something that don't fill me up, that tomorrow the windows of heaven are going to open up and for $10 I'm going to be able to get an entire measure of not just flour, but of fine flour? That I'll be able to get two measures of barley for $10? In this gate? The gate of the city that has been sieged so long, we have used everything that we have. We can't get anything in. We can't get anything out. Our armies can't even fight anymore because they're starved to death and we don't know what to do. And you're going to come and you're going to tell me that for $10, I'm going to be able to have a whole measure of fine flour. And for $10, I'm going to get two measures of barley. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold. Now what he was saying, let me, let me back up just about a half a second. He's saying not even God in heaven can work this kind of miracle. If you want it in plain West Virginia English, when he says, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be. What he's saying in plain old hillbillyology is that not even God in heaven, if He cut the floors out, could pour this much grace and mercy upon us. Look around you. We're paying $848 for a donkey head. I'm having to pick through bird droppings and I'm paying $53 just to be able to do that. Even God Himself can't make this happen. And you know, we do the same thing sometimes, don't we? We get into those places where we just wallow in self-pity and we don't understand and we don't know and we can't read for ourselves. it don't seem and we can't pray for ourselves, and we just get in such a state of dejection and we finally get to the point where we can't see the good that's ahead. We can't see that God can do anything. And, we, and we'll sit down and we'll wallow and we'll say, you know what God, it's got to this point. Even if you poured out on my family today, they would never change. 
We go back to just like this gentleman was saying, that even if God cut the floors out of heaven, He couldn't make this happen. God, even if you poured out the entire weight and glory of your Holy Spirit on my son, on my daughter, on my wife, this can't happen. You're not strong enough to make it happen because I've watched them for 40 years, for 50 years, for 30 years, whatever it may be, and there's no way they're ever going to change. But this is why I started to title this tonight. Don't believe it or do. You see, he didn't believe. That very statement that he made, that even if God cuts the floors of heaven open, this can't happen. He didn't believe. And what was he told? Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. You're going to see it, but you're not going to be able to partake of it and enjoy it. You see, what we believe when we're in our despair makes all the difference in the world. There, there was some that believed, there was some that got to a point, and, and kind of the meat of where I want to go, and, and I know I probably need to hurry, we've got a conference and, and we've got other things to do, but we need to get this in our spirit. We need to get this burnt into us about what God really is and what He will really do. The meat of where I want to go is the four lepers. You see, this city was sieged. They, they had got into desperate places where they were eating things that ought not be put into a human body. They had done turned into cannibals. They didn't know what to do. The king didn't know what to do. The leader or the people all were in the same mess and the same boat. And lo and behold, a prophet of God come by and said, things are going to be better. You're not going to have to eat a donkey's head anymore. You're not going to have to pick through dove's dung anymore. You're not going to have to lie to one another anymore about eating each other's children. Tomorrow, 24 hours from now, you're going to be able to have good bread and you're going to be able to do it cheaply and your commerce is going to be restored and you're going to see the windows of heaven opened up. Now outside the gate, there's four lepers. They had also reached a point of despair. Understand, not only... Are they part of these people that are seized and they have no access to the food and the finer things of life at this point? But also, they're outcast. When you're leprous, you're not even allowed around other people. That kind of sounds a whole lot like today's time, don't it? We got people in despair, and I believe partly because we've been in quarantine for so long, that we've got people in despair that are not around other people. They're around no one that can really sharpen them and strengthen them, and that only adds to their despair. But lo and behold, they got to the point uh, uh, that they had to do something. That's why... I, I, the, the title, Believe It or Not, Believe It or Don't Believe It, it, it all determines your ultimate reality of what you're going to experience both in life and in eternity. There were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? They had finally got to the point to where they were in their heart saying, I've got to do something. If I sit here... I'm going to die. If we say we will enter in into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. 
And if we sit out here, we die also. So it didn't matter if they went in or if they stayed out. They were going to die. And they knew it. They wasn't ready to die. So I guess my question tonight to you is, are you ready to die? Or are you ready to move? Are you ready to do something? Are you ready to experience God? Because if you sit here, you're going to die. If you go into the city, you're going to die. Because you see, the city is under siege also. You're an outcast of the city. If you stay, you're going to get no food. If you go in, people ain't going to fool with you. You got to do something. Now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. Well, what I want to tell you tonight, what you need to do is go and fall unto the host of the Trinity of the Godhead God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you will quit sitting still in your despair, and if you will believe what God is telling you, I know that this was to a specific time and in a specific situation. But understand me, God didn't save us to see us live in despair. He didn't save us to have us suffer. He didn't save us to have us suffer lack. Now, I'm not saying He's going to pour out and give you a mansion, but He saved you to treat you well. He saved you to provide for you. He saved you to see you walk a good walk and to enter in into a good rest. That's why He saved you. But you can't sit still. If you sit, you're going to die. If you go into a city that's starving to death also, you're going to die. What you need to do is get up. You need to purpose in your heart that there's somewhere that despair can be overcome. They found it in the hands of the Assyrians because they were the ones that had all the food. They had all the money. They had all the power. That sounds a whole lot like our Godhead, doesn't it? He has everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He made every stitch of money that's ever been made on this earth, every ounce of coal that's ever been mined out of the ground, God is the one that put it there. Every tree that's ever been cut in the timber industry, God knew about it before it was ever cut. Every car that's ever been built in Detroit, God made every component to it in some form or fashion. And He's the one that gives the knowledge to someone to put it together. So we can sit in despair or we can fall into the arms of such a great God that we can see His prophecies come to pass for our life, His purpose come to pass for our life, that we won't have to sit and sift through dove's dung, that we won't have to sit and try to figure out what to do with a donkey head, that we won't have to sit and try to figure out if we're going to cannibalize a baby or not, but we can walk into greatness and purpose and see the outpouring of God the Father unto the children that He loves. Now we think that this can't happen. That king thought that that couldn't happen. But when you see what happened, these four men, four men ain't going to make a whole lot of racket. Though if you're in the woods and you're watching for a deer and a squirrel comes, it sounds like a herd of elephants. Now I say that kind of joking, but that's exactly what happened here. These four men got up and they were going just to go be servants and slaves of the Assyrians.
That was their intent. That was their purpose. That's falling into the arms of, is to be a servant or a slave, to give their life over to them for whatever they may get. Now you see why I can make that comparison, because that's what we're supposed to do with God. We're supposed to go and fall into His arms. We're supposed to be His slave, His servant, and He will provide for us better than any Syrians can. But nevertheless, these four got up and they started walking. But what the Syrians heard, an army, one of the greatest armies on earth that had the power and the, and the manpower and the weapon power and the horses, literally the horsepower, to be able to siege a whole city long enough to make them fall and crumble, they heard four men walking. And when they heard four men walking, they thought it was not just four men, but they thought that, lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come up on us. They thought that not just four men, but two entire armies was walking towards them. And all of a sudden, those ones that those leprous men thought that they were going to have to be a slave to, got up and fled. They thought that they were under attack. They thought that there was no way that they could win. And the, the, the leprous men didn't even have to fight. They just walked in and they picked up food. They picked up money. They walked back out and they're like, we don't understand what's going on. Let's go do it again. They went back in and they picked some more food and money up and they took it out and they looked and they're like, we don't understand. We've been sieged. We've been lepers. We've been outcasts. We didn't have any food. We don't understand what's going on. But what they didn't know was that God had already prophesied that tomorrow at about this hour for $10 you're going to be able to get a whole fine measure uh, or a whole measure of fine flour. For $10 you're going to get two measures of barley. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew they had to work. Sometimes you may not know all the details that's going on. But you may be at a place of despair. And can I tell you, even out of your despair, if you will follow after God, you can make a difference for a church, for a community, for a county, for a state, for a nation, because that's what happened. Ultimately, these boys went back again. They said, you know what? What we're doing ain't right. They said, what we're doing is not right. We've got to go tell the king. You see, they could have easily let everybody in the community still stay in despair when they got out of theirs. But they didn't. They said, we got to go tell the king. And he called the porters. And they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night, said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore we are going out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive. You see, the king still didn't believe. He had a verbal eyewitness report. He had the prophecy of God, and he still didn't believe. The city believed. The leprous men believed. The king didn't. They sent him out. The king appointed the Lord on whose hand he had leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died as the man of God had said. When the king come down to him. That's the end of the story. Now let's go back one verse to 16. 
the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians so that a measure of fine flour was sold for 10 bucks. Two measures of barley for 10 bucks, according to the word of the Lord. You see, all of those that believed got to experience what God had promised them. Them four leprous men probably knew nothing of that prophecy. They just knew they had to get up and do something. And despair ended. Despair ended. Just like that, despair ended. It was no more. Now let's go back to 17. When this happened, all this was being sold, everything was going on, the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. I don't think I had her pull 18. I, th I think I stopped her short. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. That's the end of chapter 7. Those three words, and he died. You see, the king was in a position where he could believe and not just save himself, but save all of his people. But he let despair get the better of him. And he refused to believe. And the story for the king ends, and he died. Now there's the two paths that we can take, and I've got to try to work on wrapping this up. There's the two paths that we can take. You can take the path of the leprous men. You can be besieged. You can be outcast. You can be in a place where you don't understand what's going on and you don't like it. Where you're having to pay exorbitant prices just to be able to eat. You can be at rock bottom. You can be in an absolute state of despair. And you can choose to act. You can choose to move. You can choose to do something. And when you decide to do something, understand that it, those prayers that you feel like aren't getting above the ceiling will sound like a mighty army coming after whoever it is that you need to walk towards. Those prayers that you feel like are not even reaching the throne room of heaven will sound like a roaring ocean to the enemy that is keeping you suppressed. Those prayers that you feel like aren't being heard, that you can't even pray. You're just groaning in the Spirit. Understand that that's the Spirit of God. And it will sound like the biggest army of angels that's ever been when they leave your room. And the enemy will flee. And all of a sudden, what you were suffering in, what you were in despair over will change and it can change in the moment in the twinkling of an eye my Lord if he can change us if he can change our bodies into a resurrected state in the moment in the twinkling of an eye do you not think he can change your situation in the moment in the twinkling of an eye he can pour out upon us in ways that we can't even begin to understand what I've come to tell you tonight is don't 
Believe in your current despair. Believe in the God of heavens and earth that created it all, that poured out. He has shown time after time in His Word that if we will but believe, if we will but have faith, He will move on our behalf. We don't have to suffer the end of the king. We don't have to go to the end of the chapter. We don't have to hear, and he died. What we can hear is all of a sudden you've got more money than you've ever had in your life. You've got more spiritual authority than you've ever had in your life. You're seeing things happen that you never thought possible, all because you believed and you acted. Our current situation does not dictate our future. Listen to me. Our current situation does not dictate our future. I'm going to give a short, simple altar call tonight. You can change your future right here at the altar. If you're in a state of despair, work. Get up. Move, because if you sit there, you're going to die. If you go back into where you was at, where the despair was at, you're going to die. But if you come and you cast yourself into the arms of an all-loving, all-caring, all-powerful God, you can live. Let me tell you that again. If you're in despair, here's what you need to do. You need to come and cast yourself into the arms of our Lord at this altar. Because if you sit there, you'll die. If you walk back out of those doors and go into the same despair, you will die. But if you come to this altar, you can live. Who, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We could go on and on and on. Come to the altars tonight. Cast your despair upon Him. His yoke is light. His burden is a lot easier. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're in a whole different world of despair. Let me say that. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you're in a whole different world of despair that can be fixed right here. And you need to come fix it. For everybody else, the altars are open. For anybody, the altars are open. Come tonight. Come. Come.